Good morning. How's everybody? Uh, I'm really excited that you're here. Thank you for being here today. My name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here at Kesson. Uh, today's a little different. We're going to take about the first 10 minutes or so of service and do what we've been talking about doing, which is talk with our building panel about our downtown project. Uh, it's only about 10 minutes, and then I'll start the message. So uh, last service, a few people were like, we're doing a panel for the whole, the whole service? And we're like, no, then we're not. We're just taking 10 minutes, so chill out a little bit. But uh, uh, what we're trying to do really, though, is communicate well. There's a lot of moving pieces within our body right now, and we want to make sure that you guys uh, know as much as you can about what's going on. And so I want to introduce to you uh, Bob Andrews. Bob Andrews, uh, is uh, him and his wife, Marsha, own the Andrews Group, and they're a local builder uh, in town. And then obviously Pastor Tom Lovelace, who is our executive pastor, who's running our downtown project. Tom and Bob work a lot together. Um, Bob and I, we'll get into that in just a second. Uh, Bob and I, uh, we've been doing church together for about six, six and a half years. Um, they're friends of the family and a big part of Kesed. And, uh, Bob, uh, and I'm sharing this, I'm sharing this, Bob and Marcia didn't ask me to share this, but I'm sharing it just so you guys know they have skin in the game. Uh, he told me well before we got the building that we, he wanted to, to do whatever building we had. He wanted to be a part of it and donate all costs, all profit from his company. So that the, in essence, the company doesn't make any money on, on the project because Bob and Marcia could consider this their church home. Then on top of that, uh, I was told just a few months ago, I shared with you guys, they also, um, as a family, as the Andrews family, bought the elevator for our church on top of that. So I, I, I start off with that because Bob gets emotional when I talk about that because this is his church home and this is a dream of his since he was a kid to, to build uh, churches. And he's been a part of some other projects, but it's pretty neat to be able to be a part of this together. So I want him to share about that. And then he's going to kind of give us a first phase update. Pastor Tom's going to let you know how uh, you can help with what's coming next. Then we'll close this time and I'll share with you uh, what God's put on my heart. So Bob, thank you for being here. You're welcome. So um, the second, the second um, service is in a little for more of me because my, my wife and my kids are gone. Oh, so now okay. I, now I can talk. And my wife can't slap me. Okay, so. you're nine o'clock people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Exactly. Okay. So, um, if anybody's gone by the church, um, we got the building permit about a week and a half ago, right, Tom? And uh, we started. Uh, if you guys watched Chip and Johanna, um, we started demo day on uh, Wednesday. So it was a big day at the church, and and a lot of surprises we came up with. So Danny kind of wanted me to talk to the church about what we're doing on phase one. So we have phase one of the church, which is going to tear down the parsonage, the house. We're going to level that and take out the sod and, and have a gravel um, parking lot for the first phase. And then we will have a new entryway going from the parking lot into the church. And we will have an elevator that goes from the lobby, which will, you'll come in the elevator on one door. You'll go down about five feet to the basement come back up to the parking lot level, then go up about five feet to the main level, and then we'll go up to the second floor. So the elevator is just like the one you have out here. We come in one door and we go out the other door. So that's pretty darn exciting. So the, phase, the demo right now, we've um, been in it about three, four days now. We've tore the stage out, started doing a lot of investigation work, finding out what's behind the walls. And it's been I think I have some pictures of the demo. Oh, it's, uh, been, it's been surprising. Yeah, so we tore, this is right before the stage has been torn out, and then we have another picture of the stage actually gone. And uh, it's a 63-year-old building. Yep. 
So uh, lots of wires. To, they knew how to build 62 years ago, that's for sure. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, the mass confusion, um, Pretty Tom normal. and I are still talking after four days. It's been kind of good. <laughs> we still talk. Yeah. yeah, we still talk. So um, the, fa the first phase is we are putting in the beautiful new entryway. So it's going to have the patio area. It'll have an elevator lobby off the parking lot, blah, blah, blah. We're going to have all new restrooms on the basement, the main floor, and the third floor. Um, we're putting in, I forgot to tell the first service, which I should have, but um, the county, after about us fighting about five months, made us put a sprinkler system in the building, which I think in my heart is a good thing because we're going to be fully sprinkled, but it costs us about $225,000. That's the bad news. So there's a lot of putting a sprinkler in. We have to go out into the main road. We have to excavate, tie into the city water line and bring that water into the building. And then when you have a building that's 62 years old trying to find ways to run pipes from the basement up into the third floor, is, it's kind of fun. But, and we're doing the best we can on hiding the sprinkler pipes and stuff. We're going to have all new HVAC systems. So we're going to have air conditioning, um, all, new, all new wiring. We ordered a new switch gear. Um, switch gear is like in your house where you have electrical panel, except our new electrical panel is about 12 feet long and about 8 feet high. And it'll be r arriving approximately the first week of October. So all new power. Everything's going to be, we're going to have a 2018 version of Kessid Church. Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty awesome. So uh, can you give us a move-in date, Builder Bob? Which, by the way, I have a picture of, of uh, Bob at work that I, that I want to put up for you guys. Uh, That's our company logo right there. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you have a move-in date where we can come as a family and participate in services there? Yeah, you, uh, you put it right here in Bart. Well, I, I, I asked you, and yeah. then you told me, and then I wrote so, it there. Um, and now I'm making you tell the church that way. But in my contract, in parentheses, double bold and double underlined, I put depending on the elevator, but uh, our move-in date is going to be December 20th. And then, but that's only phase one. Right. So phase two is the parking lot, which is being designed right now by Olson Engineering. So the second phase, right now we're going to have gravel that we can park in. The city's going to let us park in gravel, but where the parking lot's being designed, where we'll have catch basins that tie into the city storm We'll have um, fire hydrants. We'll have all new asphalt, all new parking. City's going to make Tom and I go around the perimeter and plant trees. So we'll have a couple Saturdays where we'll have church, church work parties planting trees. So yeah, but that'll be next spring. That's second phase. Yeah. Okay. So so let's so Tom, you're organizing a lot of this, and uh, you you mentioned last week that there's going to be all kinds of creative ways people can be involved. Why don't you talk? Sure, yeah. So Bob kind of stole some of my photos here for the, the demolition, but uh, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, demo has begun, and the twists and turns have begun also. Um, we set off the fire alarm twice this week, just in three days, so that was awesome. Um, fire department loves us right now. And then I think the best, best news we got was, I'm being sarcastic, on Thursday, exactly at 1.23 p.m., when I was meeting with Bob and his team, uh, they told us that the power would be shut off to the building uh, on Wednesday. And I'm going, okay, you know, maybe a day or two, we'll just go meet at Starbucks, whatever. Oh, no, for three months. <laughs> so, as you know, we have nine staff members who are office out of, the, uh, out of the building there, so we are frantically trying to find a place to land for three or four months. 
So you can be praying about that. But it didn't go that smooth, Tom. No, it did not go that smooth. This is the church version of that. This is didn't, didn't go that smooth at all. Yeah, the laying upon of hands. You know, just yeah. So, uh, so anyway, I wanted to give you uh, be praying about that. I'm sure the Lord will provide us some some temporary office space, but uh, that is exciting. Um, some things you can do to help us. Uh, prayer number one, and that's the constant, right? So we pray for the safety of those who are doing the demo, doing all the work in the building. There's, there's wood flying, there's nails going everywhere, there's all kinds of debris. So we want to pray for their safety, of course. Uh, pray for continued giving and support financially, both of the building fund and our general fund. Uh, we definitely need that. And then, um, as you all know, we're looking for a full-time youth pastor here at Kessid. Yes. And we've got some great candidates. Dan. You've, met, you've met a number of them. And we think we're going to have someone in place in September still. So be praying about that. The, the Lord gives us guidance for that, right? Amen. We're going to have some dates for volunteer days. To, I'm working with Bob right now. I think we're going to have some dates later this week uh, that you can come down and do some work days with us. So, uh, you know, pay attention to Facebook and the, and the, on, and the online version of uh, the downtown project site. We'll get some dates there. Uh, so we're excited about that. Um, one, one thing we realized, we're, you know, everyone saw the pictures of the carousels and the gun parks and the water parks and everything that we said no to. Um, but we're also trying to save money. So one of the areas we, we looked at was in some of our fees uh, that we have to pay, about 800 bucks a month in PayPal, Square, some of those fees and how people give. And uh, we want to, on your, on your chairs actually this morning when you came in is this card right here. And we'd like to be able to, if you're, if you're willing to get, when those of you who give regular, on a regular basis, the same amount, that type of thing, We'd love to be able to sign you up for auto uh, withdrawal. And uh, we'd love to send you some information on it this week if we could. So just fill this out. You can put it in the giving box or to the uh, visitor center. And uh, we would just uh, appreciate you considering that for sure. Yeah, so we, this came out of a, we did a leadership conference I was a part of. And one of the pastors there said, you know, the stewardship of the funds of the church are, are so very important. And one thing he encouraged all of us to do was look at what you're paying in fees for, from your regular giving members. And I came back with Tom and he's like, oh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't think that many. And then as we both dove into it, it's, it's as he said, about $800 a month. So my wife and I consistently give. So we just switched to auto withdrawal and therefore we don't pay that, that fee. The church doesn't pay that fee because it just comes straight out of our account. We're really sensitive about how we talk about money here. So we, we just figured we would continue to be authentic with you guys. Um, Tom is really managing things at a very high level. And this was something that he really felt on his heart we should offer people who call this their church home. So uh, like Tom said, cards there. Uh, fill it out. Put it in the offering box or at Planning Center. And someone will contact you so you can do your banking. We don't want your banking information. Um, and we can set that up and save a lot of fees. Uh, let's talk about this, uh, this, uh, these chairs over here. You were so close. Danny, thanks for covering me. You're welcome. See these wonderful chairs to my right here? Aren't they so comfortable? <laughs> so we have about 800 chairs to buy. The new sanctuary is going to hold about 800 seats. And these chairs are about $75 a piece. So do the math real quick. That's $60,000 that we are trying to raise for these beautiful chairs. And what we're, we would like to ask you guys to, cons to consider is to buy a chair. Purchase a chair for you, your family, whatever. It's an easy way. It's, it's some, we're not going to put your name on it, nothing like that. But, <laughs> but, well, maybe, you know, 10 or more you get a chair. No. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> anyway, these are, these are very comfortable. They're, they're built to last. They'll last us many, many years. So we just want to give you that. We'll, we'll bring some more options down the road. But these are some of the chairs we're looking at to purchase. Uh, there's a bit of a lead time. So if you can be praying about that and giving uh, maybe during the month of August, that would be fantastic. So. Okay. Um, as a response for the, to all this happening in the church, uh, we've decided to, to do a better job as, as a staff and as elders and also just as folks who have brought this up to really stop and celebrate all this really great stuff that God is doing. Um, what a privilege it is to, to dig into walls. What a privilege it is to order elevators. What a privilege it is to, to be able to, to even look at chairs and have a home uh, and so we're going to take the whole month of August and we're going to celebrate with a fun series that really is all about uh, remembering what it means to celebrate. And we're going to call it Hullabaloo. Uh, hullabaloo, the definition is a lot of noise. This is one of the definitions or fuss made by people who are excited about something, a celebration. So uh, we're going to celebrate for the month of August and every single uh, uh, Sunday in the month of August after service, we are going to uh, take some time to do some community afterwards, whether that's in our strawberry lemonade or we're trying to get a snow cone machine. We may do some bounce house time for kids, including hopefully an adult bounce house, so you can try that, just to hang out for the month of August and meet people and connect. And we're going to celebrate because we only have this one time as a church at eight years old to, uh, to celebrate what God is doing, even if it's stretching, right, even if it's a little unknown. Uh, we really feel like we want to be responsible uh, to him f uh, to remember all the work he's doing in us. So I'm going to be here all four weeks. It's going to be amazing. And uh, I just want to invite you guys to come back and be a part. Amen? Amen. Amen. Can we thank these guys? Okay. Let me, uh, let me pray. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you that we have a downtown building. We thank you that you are uh, moving in such a clear way. Please, God, just... Uh, Bless Bob, Lord. Bless his company. Bless his guidance, his hands, the workers that are involved. Allow them just to feel your presence, Lord, as they, uh, as they create this place downtown. Thank you for Pastor Tom and all the help, all the leadership, all the guidance. Connect them. Um, align them. Make this project efficient and uh, something that brings glory to you. We are so excited to be a part of it with our prayers, with our finances, with our hands. Uh, thank you, Lord, for all you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's just appreciate him one more time. Kind of turn in a corner here. Today we're going to wrap up this wonderful series we've been in uh, that we've called Crimson. And uh, this, this series, which has been a study in the book of Acts, uh, now actually wraps up perfectly right before our celebration series. And what I want to do is I want to take just a minute and kind of look at how the last three chapters of Acts unfold and how they... Um, they ignited in me something that I want to show you guys and I want to teach you guys today. So let's first look at just how uh, the book closes. 
We talked about how Paul uh, was teaching in all different churches. He was teaching in all different venues to all different kinds of people, and he was planting elders and leaders in positions in order to maintain the church. And Paul eventually leaves these churches he planted, and he decides that he's going to head to Jerusalem. Once there, Paul finds himself before the ruling leaders of his time, his own people, the highest synagogue council, and they judge him, and they find his message unworthy. They find his message uh, something to be, uh, something to, to, that's messing with their story and what they're trying to get out. And so they decide to have him judged. But while he's waiting to be judged by the local council, the Lord comes to him in Acts 23, 11, and it says this, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. At this point in Acts, Paul knows that he's at least going to make it to Rome that he's at least going to preach his way all the way to Rome. But suddenly, because of the council, he finds himself before Felix, the local governor. Felix, the local governor, searches the heart of Paul, tries to sift through his story to figure out why these Jewish people hate him so much. He can't really understand it. So Felix brings him to King Agrippa and his wife Bernice. And King Agrippa and his wife Bernice find also nothing really wrong with Paul's story other than it's a little confusing for Jewish people that grew up with certain beliefs and now Paul says this Messiah came and so all of a sudden they begin to realize that they're not going to be able to help and so Paul eventually uh, appeals to Caesar himself. Knowing that God wants him to go to Rome, he says, then I'll just, I'll just go to Caesar. And so he gets on a boat and on his way to Rome, he gets in another shipwreck. Uh, we, we've talked about this before, how if I was Paul, I would just stop sailing. Like, like every time it's, I seem to do this, uh, it's something bad happens to me. But when you really look into it, what you realize about what Paul was about to undertake in Rome, you realize that he needed time to recuperate from all that has happened to him within this book of Acts. And what happens when he gets in the shipwreck is he lands on Malta, which is a fairly beautiful place to winter in. And he befriends the natives, and everybody around realizes that the natives are hearing his message because he gets bitten by a snake that jumps out of a fire he's building and doesn't die. And so for three months on Malta, he's casually preaching the word and recuperating. He's relaxing. He's spending time celebrating the hullabaloo of the shipwreck and all that God's done in his life. He's just recognizing, I don't know when I'm going to get off this island, but I know God's going to bring me to Rome. So for three months, I'm going to be here and I'm going to be prepared for whatever that message is. Eventually, Acts chapter 28, the last chapter of the book, it says that Paul boards a ship for Rome. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria. After all this, once Paul arrives in Rome, he remains there under house arrest for the next two years. He gets to Rome and he can't leave the house that they set him up in, but he doesn't get any time with Caesar right away. It takes two years before he actually gets time with Caesar. So what he does is he starts evangelizing. He starts preaching the word from people who came to him. He starts counseling the Jewish leaders and the Jewish elders. And the entire book ends with this verse, Acts 28, verse 30 and 31. It says, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. 
See, this whole book, the Acts of the Apostles, primarily of Peter and then Paul, is a book about evangelism. It's a book about the early church. It's a book about who we are supposed to be. If you read a genealogy, right, everybody's into the DNA me now stuff, and you go, oh, I came from these people, and I came from these people, and I came from these people. When you accept Christ into your life, the book of Acts is supposed to be the book you look at and say, I came from those people. These are the people that shared the stories that I'm telling you about now or the stories that whoever told you about Jesus, it came from someone who came from someone who came from someone who came from Paul, who came from Peter, who came from Jesus. That's what this entire book is supposed to be about. These earliest apostles like Peter, Paul, Barnabas, Silas, Timothy were true gospel pioneers. Charles Swindoll said about this book, my old friend Charles, they were people, he said, called by God equipped by the Spirit, and motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. They set out to do what no one had attempted before. They left the comforts of the familiar to carry the gospel to unfamiliar people in foreign lands. I'm here today, as we close this book, to remind you that nothing has changed, that this is still the mandate of every believer in this room, that your job, as deemed by the Holy Spirit, after the ascension of Jesus Christ, is to share with people about this God you know. That's your job. Sometimes I think people come to church and they think there's some sort of line between me and them because I'm on stage and I have a microphone and you're like, I'll bring friends and you can tell them about Jesus. That's not how it's supposed to work. Now that is a way that it works because the gospel moves in all kinds of ways. But the truth is you are called to be the evangelist. You are called to be the one who shares. It's based on these people's example of evangelisms and missions throughout the book of Acts that I want to conclude this study with three guidelines that I stole from Chuck Swindoll because they frustrated me a lot this week on how to live disciple-making lives. See, here's the, real, here's, the, here's, the, here's the crux of today's message. I was going to preach a message to wrap up the book of Acts before we get into this whole celebration series that landed neatly. I wanted to land like a gymnast in the Olympics. I wanted to point my toes, point my hands, and just hear the applause of people as they said, Mwah, I get it. <laughs> That's how everybody wants their evangelism to go, by the way. The Holy Spirit says, talk to that man. You step in. Hey, I got a weird feeling. Are you here to talk to me about Jesus? I am. Oh, man. I've been waiting for you for like three days. Uh, thank you so much for being with me. No problem. Here's my three very simple questions. Does Jesus love me? Yeah. Does Jesus want to save me? Yes. Is it going to be easy? No, I'm in. Can we pray? Yeah, we can pray. Boom. <laughs> you leave that, that milkshake shop and you're like, another one down. Who's next, Lord? Who's next? But guess what? Evangelism's a whole lot sloppier than that, folks. Evangelism's much more like the sermon. You start to study you get involved, you start thinking about the church and all the stuff, and you go, okay, God, I realize that the, we need to conclude the book of Acts with something about evangelism, and God's like, yeah, but you're not that good at evangelism. And I'm like, ho, ho, who was that message for? Not clearly for me. I'm a preacher. Like, evangelism is what I do. And he goes, yeah, yeah, it is what you do. I heard this. I heard this, ready? But it's not who you are. See, the gospel pours out of who people are. It's not something you go and do. Paul's on an island, 
And suddenly he's around natives, and they see because of who he is that there's something special about him. And so he starts preaching to them. He starts talking to them, and he starts sharing who Jesus is. Jesus saved people because of who he was, not what he did. Lots of people were crucified. You know this, right? He wasn't the only one crucified. Lots of people healed people. Lots of people gave incredible sermons. Jesus Christ saved people not because of these things he did, but because of who he was, the Son of God. And when he, as the Son of God, enveloped you and adopted you and adopted me, he brought me into the family, and now suddenly I am the hands and feet of Jesus on this planet. And suddenly I'm evangelizing not by what I do, but by who I am. That's why the church doesn't need a building. If God gives us a building, it's only to express more of who he is, not to say, look how great we did. Now we're a real church. Had someone tell me that one time. Oh man, now you're going to be a real church. Got a building. I, I responded in a way that I can't repeat here, but I, I would like to have said, hey brother, listen, we're all the church. We're all the hands and feet of Jesus. It's about who we are, not what we do. So I... I decided since I'm not as good at this as I want to be and since I'm going to teach the church how they can do it better and, and how uh, maybe a way to evaluate themselves what can I do so I found a book and I read and I spent a lot of time with the old authors I spent a lot of time with people who know a lot more than me and uh, even the people who are uh, common the people that everybody has read before I know it's fun to bring up new creative ways and new things but the reality is sometimes you just got to go back to those old folks and so Swindoll gave three points three points Three guidelines for living disciple-making lives. These are the three guidelines for evangelism that messed with my heart, and now today, I pray they mess with yours. The first one is this. Start with the people most familiar to you. When entering a new area, the apostles in the book of Acts usually approach their fellow Jews in the synagogues first. Today, all of us in this room have circles of friends, families, colleagues, neighbors, people who are like us in many ways. Use this. Lean into this. We share a similar language, culture, values, and even daily routines. Now, you think you've got to get on a stage or, or you think you've got to get on a boat. You've got to go do something to be an evangelist. But if being an evangelist is not doing. It's being who you're called to be. He says this. I love this quote. I'm going to leave it up long enough for you to write it down. We all may not be able to cross the world, but all of us can cross the street. Oof, that's offensive right there. That's offensive. We may, we, not, we may not be able to cross the world, but all of us can cross the street. That is in your face proclaiming to you that you have zero excuse for not proclaiming Jesus Christ to the people at work, the people in your life, the people in your home, the people inside your story. Now, does it mean you preach to them a three-point message? No, because it's not about preaching or being, it's about, or doing, it's about being. It means you be present. It means you be the hands and feet of Jesus. It means you love them when everybody else leaves. It means you don't judge them when everybody else uh, proclaims them unworthy. It means that you step in when other people step out. It means that you lift up when other people set down. It means that you live opposite what everybody else does. Look for people that deserve what they're getting and then step in and love them undeservingly. Let me say it again. Look for people that deserve what they're getting ridiculed, made fun of. The consequences are vast and real and they are worthy of it. And then step in and love them undeservedly. 
Because then people look up through tear-filled eyes and they say, why? And you know what you say? You don't go, because I've been there, brother. Ah! That you, just took, you just missed it. You just whiffed spiritually everything God set up for you. It's a perfect pitch. Why do you love me like this? Jesus. What's that mean? Jesus, this is how Jesus loves. This is how Jesus sees. This is what Jesus is. This is now who I am, and this is who I want to be to you. This is evangelism to people that are close to us. But the hardest thing about people that are close to us is we know enough about their story to not like them. See, it's easy to love people on the news. It's easy to love even people on Facebook that are down and out. What's really hard is when you got your friend doing a GoFundMe, knowing they go drink every Friday night. Oof. You're like, you're doing a GoFundMe for that because you're down and out? You were just out partying last Friday. It's hard to love the people we know. And yet this is who we're called to love. We may not be able to cross the world, but all of us can cross the street. Start in your own Jerusalem. Start in your own Judea. Share the love of Christ with the message of the gospel and share it with everyone that you know. Do you know that when uh, I started uh, preaching, it was with a youth group of seven junior hires, five of which were my cousins. <laughs> Do you know how what a hard crowd that is? That is a brutal crowd. I mean, their, their purpose in life is to disrespect you at 14 years old and I was 21. Their whole purpose in life is to make you feel small and down. Some of them are here right now. They know it. They know what they did to me. But we had a message, and that message got a hold of all of us. And do you know over the next six and a half, seven years, with that same group of seven, we grew that youth group. God grew that youth group because of word-of-mouth evangelism. Probably why Kesson still doesn't market or do bumpers or door-to-door or any of that stuff. Because we grew this youth group from word-of-mouth evangelism from seven students in seven years or so to over 1,000 kids with three services. Because of word of mouth. Because, yes, yes, good. You can applaud later. Okay, it's awesome. Because God, listen, because God moves through people. 14-year-olds don't tell each other about Jesus. People don't share that stuff. And so they were like, oh, that's kind of weird. But the kids were changed and they were different. And it grew and it developed. You've got to start with the people you know. You've got to start with the people who are familiar to you. Don't just think evangelism is all missions. Sometimes it's just Mr. and Mrs. And they're sitting right across from you every single day waiting for you to sloppily and messily. Is that a word? It is today. And difficultly share the gospel. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be perfect. Stop trying to pretend it's going to. It's not going to. So get in. Share. Mess it up. See what the Holy Spirit does. He gets all the credit anyways. If it goes bad, blame it on him. When my sermons bomb, I tell people that's what Jesus wanted. <laughs> Jesus wanted a bomb today. What can I do about it? Second, learn everything you can about the people you intend to reach. Learn everything you can about the people you intend to reach. When the disciples entered a place with people they didn't know, people with no Jewish population, Gentile people, they had to draw on knowledge learned through open interaction with people who they met day to day, people they didn't understand. They then had to overcome prejudices and set aside cultural obstacles. Now, many of these people still rejected their preaching, but not because they were unprepared or unclear. When we step out beyond our own Jerusalem and Judea, we always enter uncomfortable territory. 
Like Peter and Paul, look at this quote. We must learn how to minister cross-culturally. To do so, we need to learn how others think, what they think, and why. We need to learn to listen well. We need to learn to ask questions. We need to learn to, to be okay that someone may have a worldview that is completely warped in our opinion and different from ourselves, but that doesn't mean we have to get up from the table. You know, there should be very few things in your day-to-day -day external life that people can say or do that would cause you to get up from the table. Very few things. I, I, and I'm not going to list them here, but they... When you really get into a place with the Holy Spirit and he starts to guide you and lead you, there are very few places, times that I've been where the Holy Spirit's like, Danny, just shut your mouth. Most of the time, God's like, no, that's not true. You should say something about that. And I'm like, ah, it's going to be confrontive. God's like, just do it in love. Just do it in love. I got asked one time to go and preach, this was what I was told, to a juvenile detention center. A group of students, they said, I think there was about 60 students all dressed in orange. They all came into this room. There was a sheriff that let them in, a sheriff at the back of the room, and then the guy who ran the program. I didn't really understand fully why I was there, but I feel like I'm called to preach. And so I sat in the room, and, and he stood up, and he said, all right, this is Danny. Um, he's a helper, I think was the word he used. He wants to help you guys. And uh, uh, the thing is uh, that uh, this is not mandatory this time today, so you guys can leave anytime you want. If you don't like what he says, you can go. And at first I thought, oh, this is different. And then he turned around very quietly, and he said to me, all right, you got 45 minutes. Don't use the words God, Jesus, sinner, hell. Have a good time. And he walked off. <laughs> and I walked up like, that's my, what, you just took my stuff. That's like a magic trick with no rabbit or hat. Like, that's my thing. And so I sat there, and I remember just feeling the presence of God, and I leaned into these people, and I remember just thinking to myself and relating them to my story, realizing that within these people's lives, they're captured. Within these people's lives, they're, they're in bondage. Within these people's lives, they, they've got no escape. Guess what? I, as a, as a man of God doing the best I can, I may not be pinned up with them, but I know what it feels like to be captured by something. I know what it feels like to not have any escape. I know what it feels like to be bound up by this world. And so I just leaned in, and man, I started telling stories. And 45 minutes went off without a blink, and not a soul left. And by the end, we stayed longer. Then at the end, when they left, people would come up, and I would say, hey, I just want you to know I'm a pastor, and I think you should stop sinning so that you don't go to hell because Jesus <laughs> loves you. God bless. <laughs> I did. It's my brokenness. I couldn't help it. We had kids, uh, when they got out, uh, actually ride the bus to our youth group from that, from that meeting. I think if you learn the people, it's not about saying, well, what church did you go to? Who did you uh, study the gospel under? Who was your last pastor? What sermons do you listen to? What books do you read? Nah. It's, what are you feeling right now? Because I think I could, if I said, what are you feeling right now? And someone says, I feel addicted. I know what that feels like. Something you can't let go of. Something that's got you. What are you feeling right now? I feel alone. What are you feeling right now? I feel trapped. What are you feeling right now? When you learn about the people that you're talking with, then suddenly, whether they are people who are close to you or an audience like towards the close of the book of Acts, Paul moving to Rome, people completely different than you, you can within yourself begin to ask the Holy Spirit to bring into you the feelings of the audience you're talking to, and then suddenly you will be able to feel the same challenges they're feeling, and then you don't talk down to people, you talk with people. This is something so significant about Kesed. It's probably 
one of the most important defining things about us is that we never get anyone up on stage that talks down to anybody because I've yet to see a person better than anybody else or figure out more life than anybody else. So you best be preaching from reality. And reality says, I'm in this with you. And as the book closes, and I'm supposed to challenge you with evangelism, God's challenging me with evangelism. Suddenly, we all are being frustrated by the scripture. Suddenly, we're all going, man, I don't know if I do that as well as I do. Because yes, your Sunday school counts. And yes, my sermons count. But I don't think this is what God's talking about when he says, go out and reach the world. I think he's talking about the people sitting next to you in your cubicle. Yes, teaching your children about the Lord counts. Valuable. But your children watching you teach other undeserving people about the Lord, I believe counts more. Because I believe they get to see the gospel lived out. Not just something that we, that we do, but it's something that we be. You can teach your kids all the Bible that you want. But unless you're willing to go be the Bible for people, then I'm just here to tell you, they're going to get out of your house and they're going to say, ah, I'll go do something else. But when you show them how to be, then although they may stumble and they may fret and they may have questions, they will never doubt that they have to make a choice to be something. It has nothing to do with what you do. It has to do with who you are. That's how Jesus saved. That's how we evangelize. Only when we learn to listen well will we be able to speak well to people all across this world and people we're intending to reach. Third and final point. Go as far as God will lead you. We hear phrases like, where the Lord guides, he provides. And we're seeing that all inside of our building. I mean, I didn't know, Bob didn't know when he offered to, to help build the building at no uh, overhead expense that, that we would then get a building a year later. Tom came to the church well before we even needed a guy like Tom. God knows where he's leading and he provides people for it. But the reality is sometimes we get caught up in our churchdom with the miracles and with the blessings and we think that's how God provides think about Paul his entire ministry is one big anointing he comes to Christ through a vision from Jesus goes blind for three days then is healed then goes off and starts healing people and yet we know for a fact that Paul's ministry wasn't led from anointing to anointing there were times when he was starving wouldn't you think if you healed someone of leprosy four days later you're starving to death that you would just put your own hand on your stomach and say in the name of the Lord be full has no one ever thought of this stuff like I'm having a bad bad backache and this sandal's broken don't worry mm, better and it never goes that way it says that Paul was a tent maker, that he actually got to the point that he had to get a job. Can you imagine being that anointed by God, you're healing people, and then at night you got some lady whining about the tent deadline you missed? You're like, everybody wants to touch you. It says at one point cloths were being passed around that Paul touched. It doesn't say the cloths healed, by the way theologians in the room it just says the, the cloths were passed around that Paul touched but the point is the man had some serious reverence and then all of a sudden he's bidding tent jobs this is reality the miracles are awesome but the reality is God takes us far and God keeps us close God does whatever benefits us. I think for Paul, he needed those breaks. He needed those day-to-day -day jobs. He needed to remember what it was like to be a laborer, for he was a laborer for Jesus. But you're, you're, you get caught up in that stuff. 
You get caught up in the applause and the miracles and all the the stuff people say about your name or how good you are at this or that or the other thing. It is a different thing when you're setting up somebody's tent and they're like, hey, thank you for the good work. Here's some coins so you can eat. We need to be willing to go as far as God will lead you or stay as near as God will lead you. God always provided opportunities and he always opens doors for evangelism. He wants to use you and he wants to use me. We must never forget as a church that we are called by God to call others. We are called by God to call others. We are called by God to go as far as he will lead us. This, my friends, is how the book closes. This, my friends, is what God is challenging me in my heart and what I believe he wants to challenge you with. He wants you to consider these things. He wants you to start with the people familiar to you, the people in your lives, the people you know, the inside and out that you've been judging. He wants you to let that go and be Jesus to them. He wants you to learn everything you can about the people you intend to reach, whether that's your closest family members, people on your bus, people that you drive to to work with and carpool with, people you work alongside. He wants you to learn about them, pray about them before the Lord, and ask him, God, how do you want me to minister to these people? Where are you? Because I'm here to tell you God is in the nuance. He's in the nuance. He's in the extra smile. He's in sitting next to them when everybody else leaves. He's in the undeserved love. He's in the little tiny things as much as he's in the sermons. Lastly, go as far as God will lead you. If God's calling you to give, give. If God's calling you to serve, serve. If he's calling you to lead, lead. If he's calling you to be quiet, be quiet. If he's calling you to step out, step out. If he's calling you to kneel down, kneel down. If he's calling you to to lift or lay down uh, your worries. If he's calling you to have concern for something you don't have to have concern about. If he's calling you to dance. If he's calling you to pray. If he's calling you to sing. He's calling you. But he's not calling you for the sake of you. He's calling you so that you can experience the love of Jesus in your life as you love someone else undeservedly like you were first loved. See, mercy that I show is not for my glory. Mercy that I show to people is to remind me of the first mercy that God showed me. When I love undeservedly, when I preach without any return, when I knock without any door that's open. All of these things are to remind me of the one who came, who knocked, and whose door for many years I didn't open and sometimes still only barely ajar. It's to remind me of the one who follows when I run or looks when I hide. It's to remind me as I give with my prayer and my finances the cost of the one who gave. It's a reminder of who Jesus is, not just what he does. And so when I get to be the hands and feet of Jesus, then suddenly I get to be reminded of what he did for me. And someone else gets to see a glimpse of who he is. And then if you have any ounce of love for our Lord, you deflect every bit of that look of thankfulness that comes upon you and you turn it into the eyes of Jesus because he's the only one that can consistently meet their needs. That's what the book of Acts is about. That's what Paul did. That's what Peter did. That's where our people are from. That's the story that it's trying to tell you. We have to continue the story, with or without buildings, with or without microphones. We have to continue the love of God. 
We have to proclaim it. Whether we are the one going or the one sending, we have to never lose sight of God's vision for reaching those at the ends of the earth or just across the aisle. What a blessing it is to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit who has done so much for me, who has done so much for you, who is transforming us into things we never thought we could be so that other people could see the love of Jesus in our lives. May we never get distracted, ever, thinking in any way that it is us. For it, my friends, is always, has always, and will always be our Lord and Savior alone. Please stand with me. Let's just take a minute and bow our heads. Just let all the distractions that you brought with you clear in your mind. Think about this love, this merciful love that's been poured over your life. Reflect upon what the Holy Spirit's highlighting right now within your story. Think about the people he'd want you to share with in these coming weeks or months. Think about the opportunities he's going to lay before you to share how much he loves.